Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You're listening to the Paranormal UK Radio Network. The best in paranormal talk radio in the UK and around the world. Paranormal Dimensions is fortnightly on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network. What's going on here, Lieutenant? Uh, Everything's under control, Officer. One of our jets crashed. We have five calls. It's our busy night, too. We've been flooded with calls from people who say they've seen flying saucers and little green monsters. Wonder how that rumor ever got started. (laughs) You got me, Sarge. Here we go again. See you later. This is Nick Pope, and you're listening to the Paranormal UK Radio Network, the UK's biggest paranormal network. And this is Paranormal Dimensions with David Young. Going to be definitely interesting, something you don't want to miss. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm David Young. This is a very special show. I've not only got one guest, but I've got two amazing guests for you. It's Jim Penniston and Gary Osborne. Now, a few years ago, they wrote a book together called The Rendlesham Enigma, which obviously is about the Rendlesham UFO incident from 1980. Both guests have been on before, but not together. And this is quite a momentous occasion in my mind. It was Jim Penniston who touched the craft in Rendlesham Forest on that cold December night in 1980. If, like me, you've heard many stories over the years about the Rendlesham incident, um, it's always Jim that comes out as being one of the most truthful and straightforward, in my opinion. So I don't really want to waste any more time. So here we go with Jim Penniston and Gary Osborne on this very special show. Hello, Jim, and hello, Gary. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. I'm absolutely honoured to have you both on. I've had you both separately on before, but to have you both on together is an absolute miracle in my mind. And and I'm really pleased to welcome you on. Um, Thanks. I think, Gary, you've been coming up with some results of the the binary code 
And yeah. I know you you blew me away when you when we did the show previously. And I would think, Jim, are you blown away by Gary's results as well? Uh, yeah, I find them uh, fascinating. I mean, I, I got a different perspective on it. I was there, okay? So, you know, yeah. uh, this, the, to, to authenticate the code, say, you know, did it happen out there at that time? Yeah, of course it did. I was there. And, um, but his findings, that is what I find uh, unbelievable, okay? Because it's just, uh, it blows me away, actually. Hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, the I thing is, oh, sorry, go, go on, Gary. Go on. Yeah, I was, all I was going to say to, to Jim was um, the the mathematics of it. All. I mean, do you actually? I mean, I don't. I don't understand the the, the mathematics. What Gary? When, you know, when Gary, it's just that's what I'm saying. When he blew me away, I couldn't get my head around most of it. Can you? Yeah. Do you understand is, the mathematics it is, now? Yeah, go on. Well, I do now because of uh, uh, Gary sent me a presentation that. Uh, it was in like in plain uh, English and, mm. uh, you know, down to my reading grade level and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. I, could, I, could, so I could understand no, it, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, and once he did that, I went, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've read it. I've read through it quite a bit. It does. It does actually, when you start getting your head around the figures, once you read through it a couple of times. But yeah. Um, now, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt his findings at all. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm backing Gary on it. I'm, I'm going to say that I don't think anyone could doubt the findings. Any mathematician would see that no. this is like the code is legit mm. by through the mathematics. It, it, it points to things that it's trying to prove to us, and it's trying to prove. I mean, it does prove through mathematics because you can't refute mathematics. You can't argue with two plus two equals four. Mm. So um, it's pointing out things to us uh, that we have to believe because the mathematics is is proving it kind of thing, you know. So, um, yeah, it goes beyond belief, actually, you know, because belief is subjective. It's not objective. I mean, we're all we have our beliefs because of our we're emotionally attached to certain things and that. But this is this is objective mathematics and it's yeah. proving things you, and it goes beyond any of our emotionally you know, driven uh, beliefs or views. Yeah, you know, exactly. Above and beyond I, all that. I mean, if I could just jump in, here, Jim. I know you've, I know you've, you've probably told this story hundreds of times, but I think just, to, just for the benefit of anyone that don't, that doesn't really, you know, maybe listening to this show doesn't really know the whole story. I mean, you don't need to tell the whole story, obviously, but maybe the basics of where you, where you were involved in touching the craft in Renishaw Woods or Forest. In 1980, um, and then this is where we're basically. This is what this shows about the binary code. Would you mind sort of going through that to, you know, yeah, to just for no the benefit problem. of people that might not know too much about it? I'll touch on it, okay, because there's, there's there's a lot to it. Mm, um, well, I was a Woodbridge supervisor for Security Police, Air Force Security Police. Uh, I was in charge of security for Woodbridge Air Base uh, that night. Uh, I was dispatched to the East Gate by uh, initially, uh, uh, not initially, but uh, from um, Central Security Control, uh, our control center on Bentwaters. Said there was a situation out there I needed to investigate. I went out there. I met with the two law enforcement patrolmen. Uh, the senior patrolman was uh, Bud Steffens, and I, he pointed over to the woods, and apparently there was some type of uh, lighting coming out of the woods and Rendlesham Forest. And uh, so uh, 
my first thought it was possible aircraft downing. So I went to the direct line, talked to, uh, um, by phone. I talked to uh, Central Security Patrol. I uh, got permission through through uh, uh, Lieutenant Moran, who got permission through the wing commanding post, and eventually, you know, Colonel Con- Conrad, the uh, base commander, to to go off uh, base, uh, set up an entry control point, did run my checklist for a possible downed aircraft if we found one, and to uh, set it up for the response. I took two airmen with me, a security airman uh, who had a radio, myself, I had a radio, and a law enforcement airman who didn't have a radio. And uh, we responded. I went out as far as I could with the Jeep. Uh, there's a, we're at Reynolds Force has all these berms out there. We're off, uh, off road, and I went as far as I could with it. Uh, about that area i set up the enter control point with airman uh the security airman and uh, he had the radio of course and of course he knew what he was doing so that's that's the two things that was a criteria there the the law enforcement and security are separated career fields the law enforcement are pretty much like gate guards and uh responded to domestic stuff on base like policemen and stuff i was security and we were responsible for the uh, total uh, population of the base plus uh, the security of the base, all its resources, priority A resources, priority B resources, C rate resources, the restricted areas, aircraft parking, it goes on and on and on. Um, so uh, as I investigated that, we got to the the wood line and uh, there was lights coming from the woods. It uh, uh, I couldn't see it very good, but you know, I only sat maybe 10, 15 feet in. Um, as I got closer to it, I felt physical response around uh, with it, uh, a feeling of electricity uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I get to the craft. Uh, <laughs> as the light dissipated, the craft was there. It was triangular in shape. Uh, I did, uh, I had... Uh, no way of um, measuring it and stuff like that. So I used my my walk, you know, I took my stride, you know, I used the things I had out there. I investigated the craft. I walked around it, the 360. I seen markings that were on the craft, um, and they were pictorial-type markings. I then uh, made a second go around on it. I uh, was feeling the fabric of the craft. I went to and I felt the uh, uh, the symbols that was, were, they felt like they were etched inside the aircraft. And when I hit the big symbol uh, with the triangle, and uh, large triangle that was above it, it uh, initiated a, uh, what I will call a, a intense white bright light where I couldn't see anything else. But it wasn't light. And I'll tell you about why after in a second. Uh, and during that time, I was uh, with my hand on it. I was getting some type of uh, vision of, you know, ones and zeros and things like that. And uh, and I sort of gained my senses. And I I took my hand off, and I could immediately say the the forest was dark out there except for the light little lighting around the air uh, the aircraft the craft itself, and. Um, 
uh, I had my night vision, so I knew that wasn't light because night vision wouldn't take another 30 to 45 minutes to regain it. Uh, I continued my walk around, and at a certain point in time, it uh, started generating light throughout the fabric craft. And then, uh, you know, I took a defensive position and it uh, lifted up uh, to the uh, canopy of the forest, made a momentary turn, and it was gone in the blink of an eye. And at that time, I, the other, uh, the law enforcement patrol that was with me came, I heard him beside me, he came running up and he took off and he started chasing it. And I chased him because of the team <laughs> concept. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a very uh, messed up situation there. And um, anyway, uh, we get uh, a good distance away, jumping fences, farmers' fields. I mean, we get to uh, a spot where the, the law enforcement airman got tired and uh, he finally stopped. And when he stopped, I said, my God, you know, I lucked out because I was, I was, I was pretty exhausted by then. And I said, what, what the hell are you chasing? And uh, because the forest, you couldn't really see much outside of looking straight up, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what, he, I don't know what he was chasing. And um, he points with his finger over toward the uh, coastline uh, in the opposite direction. And I said, what are you, what are you looking at? And he, he, and he, and so I looked down his arm right at it. Uh, and using his arm for a guide and and he was pointing at the what turned out to be the lighthouse over there so <laughs> that's how it came into his statement and uh, i was uh, it was just a few seconds later uh, i looked up and i seen the object over cape of the green area it was still there just hovering i don't know what it was hovering it was unstationary it was stationary and it was above the trees and not moving and it then slowly turned again and then headed out to, uh, out toward the coastline, and that was the end of it. And slow is means uh, it wasn't gone in the blink of an eye. Slow would be, I don't know, and it's hard to guess speed on the ground, but I would say, you know, three, four hundred miles an hour, which is pretty slow. <laughs> so that was the extent of it. And then um, the following day, um, you know, we had went out and checked out the area, uh, ran into the other investigators that were out there from the squadron, uh, Major Dury, uh, Captain Verano, a few other people. Anyway, uh, I get home and I was told to take off, a, you know, take a couple of days off. I get home and I, you know, I'm up all day. Uh, uh, I go back and re-verify the situation out there by getting plaster casts. I get back home and that, and I had dinner, and uh, uh, I tried to go to sleep at night. I couldn't sleep, and uh, I kept seeing these ones and zeros that were flashing uh, in my mind's eye. Every time I would close my eyes and concentrate, I could see these, and uh, it was very disturbing. You know, I thought I was having a mental breakdown. I thought it was trauma from the incident. Uh, I was concerned because I, I really can't go into the base hospital the facility there, the uh, clinic, and tell them I'm seeing ones and zeros, and I had an encounter with objects out in the forest. I, I mean, it was no good. With that. that was a no good scenario. Uh, it would have got me probably relieved of duty and 
Uh, also, um, it probably ended my career in the Air Force. Anyway, uh, I get up, um, and then I don't know what time it was, midnight, something like that. Uh, I get up, uh, not sleeping. I, I made a pot of coffee because I wasn't going to sleep anyway. And uh, I'm just sitting there and looking over the stuff from the day, day. I had my notebook. I was looking at that because I was looking at what I'd drawn in there and my notes and things like that. And uh, uh, I says, you know, I think I could write that down. You know, and I felt compelled to actually. And so I started writing them down. And I hadn't even finished a line or two, and it felt good. And so I continued to do that, and I wrote them all down until I couldn't write anymore or see them anymore. And uh, I, when I stopped, I felt great. I felt like uh, refreshed um, and uh, I felt like I could go to sleep. Even though I had that coffee, I thought I could. And uh, I did. And I woke up the next day and I felt great. Uh, that is how it started. Mm. And that was 16 pages of binary, wasn't it, Jim? Yeah, I did. I was forced to count it one time uh, back in 2011. <laughs> I just made numbers up, you know, uh, 15, 6, I don't know, whatever. I think 12. It was, yeah, 12. I, I just, yeah, because, like, you know what? That, that's a, that wasn't even important to me after what happened out there, you know? Yeah. I, mean, it was just, yeah, I think an important but, thing that comes up sometimes did you actually know binary at the time? Oh, no, I didn't even know what it was. Matter of fact, oh. I didn't know what binary code was until uh, 2013 when we were on a film shoot. And, no, it was uh, and... 20, 20, 2010. Thank you. Thank you for the dates. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. That was okay. Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. For... Yeah, don't let me tell anything that's not true, Gary. Um, no, because this is, why, this is what the skeptics will do. They will, or the pseudo skeptics, will sure, yeah. jump on things that you said. When you you don't really remember dates and uh, you need well, a time. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. just I just I just never have worried about details like no. that because they're not they're not important to me. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, um, no. It's just I want to I want to make I want to clarify that because that you do get people saying, "Oh, we must have known by what binary was and everything." And I mean, until to this day now, Jim, do you understand binary now? Well, I know it's ones and zeros are binary code. But I mean, could you actually, when I mean, if you if someone put down a load of ones and zeros in front of you, could you work out what it said? No, oh, no. that's what that's what I'm kind of kind of mean. <laughs> no, I think don't don't it have to be a don't it have to be a computer that figures that out? Yeah, it's all computer language, but yeah. No, I think some yeah. people can actually work it out by looking at it, but um, I don't believe. Really, well, I, I believe there how. are some. I believe there are some, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, all I would know. Well, is well, that, I don't know about everybody else, but I can't. Okay. No, uh, no. Uh, I mean, I no. can't either. No, and like I said, I didn't find out until the 2010 uh, uh, in uh, on a film shoot for Ancient Aliens out in. Uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and it was was October 2010. Well, this is what I'm trying to say, Jim. See, you, you've just said that only a computer would be able to read that. So, you being a human being, writing ones and zeros down, not knowing what it means. Oh uh, no, no. See, the the whole thing is when I after I wrote them down after that 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 horrible night, after I wrote them down, uh, I thought I avoided uh, a mental breakdown. I thought yeah. uh, it was that's all I thought it was. I thought it was a mental breakdown. I didn't, 
that's you know i didn't realize a what binary was or i didn't realize what a road i don't realize that there was even conceivable possibility uh, of anything like a message in it. that, that yeah that's, that's, that's impossible it's important because <laughs> what's gary's come up with later on it proves that you there was no way that you could have written that down um and, and knowing, no what the, knowing what he was going to say no in way. the future and what gary it's, will demonstrate that later well I suppose anybody could write down ones and zeros, but for it to make any type of sense, yeah, I guess, is what, exactly. you know. Yeah. Um, There's no way he could have devised it himself, put it that way. What comes out of the code, what emerges from the code. No, my, my specialties uh, have been in criminal justice, it's not, not in math or... <laughs> you wouldn't even have the patience, Jim, you wouldn't have even have the patience to do something, you know, like trying no, to... No, no. You know, uh, and no. I just want to make a point that Jim didn't even know it was binary code when um, Linda Morton Howe got involved mm. and she was looking at the, um, was it the transcripts of the, of the... Yeah, she said, yeah, Gary, she said, uh, you know, part of the transcripts was said I could see binary code. I didn't even know what the hell that was, you know. I, I don't, but you I didn't don't even, know But you didn't even know then because you hadn't looked at nope. your hypnosis tapes. Uh, you wouldn't look at them because, well, you oh, tried... No, I, no, I don't know. Too traumatic did, you, for you. did you put that part in the book about how how you had to do the transcribe? You transcribe yeah, yeah, all yeah, the... yeah. It's all in there, yeah. Yeah. But what uh, what I'm saying is, you didn't even know then because skeptics are, no. or people trying to debunk this will always will say that you know they you can't. All right, that Gary, they can't debunk it. It's no, they impossible. can't. It's impossible to debunk because it happened. Well, Just all like the issues. All the issues that they keep coming up with, it's all explained in the book anyway, and they still keep coming up with these things. Well, I don't see how that can <laughs> happen after, if they read the Reynolds from Enigma book. I don't even understand how that can They just get happen. things wrong. They just mis misread things, misinterpret things. I mean, you know, some of it is because, you know, you're not, Jim, in, in the interviews you've done, you've, you haven't been always clear. But if someone was to come up to you and, and ask you, about the issues, you would explain it, which you did to me. Right. So I, I know that what they're doing is just coming up with the same old things that, you know, it, it's all, it, it's their interpretation of it. But they haven't well, I don't, you know, it's their guessing or making stuff up because they don't know. No, they I mean, no I know. You have, to, you have to establish a timeline like you do with um, any murder case. You have to establish a timeline. We have to have all the dates as one thing, you know, follows another. It's all in chronological order. So that's what I did with the book, which is how I wrote everything out. It all has to be in chronological order. So um, I remember the dates. Like I remember phone numbers. I'm quite good with math because I remember numbers. Mm. Um, so I, I remember the dates. You don't always, and that's when people take umbrage with you. They think, oh, he's got it wrong. Why is he saying this? Well, you should be saying that. And that's how they get well, things wrong. Oh uh, yeah, I, you know, you know that stuff is not important to me. I mean, I mean yeah, I guess yeah. you know. I mean, I mean, when we went through writing the drafts uh, for the uh, Enigma book, I don't know, I don't know how many drafts, Gary. What eight, nine? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, I, maybe. Yeah, and you had uh, you know the uh, evidentiary uh, uh, end notes in there and stuff. We went over stuff and over stuff, and it wasn't because I was trying to get a story down or my account. It was using the right words to be most descriptive. I would say exactly. 
Yeah, and you don't, and and not to be any gray area in a in a meaning. Of I love word. clarity. I like clarity in everything, and this is where they go wrong. They don't interview you to pick up on the points that they make, so that you can explain it to them better. You know, uh, what they see as discrepancies or uh, contradictions. You know, they they need to ask you about those personally to get, you know, the explanation, the logical explanation. I mean, which are, contradictions. Okay. For example, oh, here's a, I guess a counterjection. I mean, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't like it when it happened. The first uh, interview we did, a uh, documentary I did, was uh, in um, England, and it was for some show. I can't remember Gary uh, the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, strange, strange, but strange but true. And yeah, strange uh, but true. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, that that. That's a brilliant producer because I showed him the notebook. I says, "What about this after the meeting?" He goes, "We already got our storyboards done. Uh, that's interesting." <laughs> but that's what he says. I said, "Okay." So it's not that. That's not interesting. I thought he would want to want to see diagrams or something. You know, but, uh, he didn't. Anyway, one of the things that he made me say is on the size of the craft. He goes, "Say it's the size of a tank." I said, "I've never seen a tank." He says. A tank. You see them on TV, haven't you? I said, yeah, okay. I've never really seen one up front, though. And he goes, say it's the size of tanks to the audience. Well, know what you're talking about. I go, all right. And I was so naive back then. I said, okay, so I'm on I'm on film going, oh, it was the size of a tank. I don't know what a tank you size. Yeah, I know what they're like. But that's disinformation there, but it's not because I wanted to, you know. Yeah, I know. What they show to the audience is they have to sensationalize it and, and get it and get the audience to be able to understand it. So they, they change certain things and kind of fabricate certain things. It's like Heather, you know, she's been on TV. She knows what it's like. She'll say something and they say, no, we don't want you to say that. We want you to say this. So yeah. people are missing I stopped forward. doing that though, Gary. I stopped at a point in time. I just stopped doing that. I said, if you don't like it, I says, don't put yeah. me in the show. There's just use someone yeah. else. Yeah. me out. You know, I just didn't care after. after so what I'm concerned about is that the public are being misinformed all the time because of the sensationalism that they want to kind of portray and um, and not the facts. And I, I am really, you know, it has to be the facts for me. And the, the code being mathematical, go on, I'm in my element. You know, but um, I'm just saying because it goes beyond all what people think their yeah. their beliefs, their views, their you know, opinions. Of course, <clears throat> but you know that is so amazing, Gary. They they try to take the most sensational event in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even more more than my children being born. It's the most sensational yeah. event, and they try to sensationalize it. What I don't have to. Are they, why would they do that? What what did what they and uh, that that just blows my mind. It does. Uh, don't, you know, there's no need to sensationalize anything with Randallson. Nothing. I mean, I'm concerned. Fact... Yeah. I, yeah, I'm concerned I'm about the. I'm, no, it's all right. I'm concerned about the binary code and the the uh, what what has emerged from it, because it, it is difficult to understand. It's difficult to get your head around it. But once they do, once people realize what it's telling us, if they can get through the mathematic block, because they will put a wall up when they see numbers and stuff. If they can actually understand it, they will see it's. They don't have to sensationalize this incident. The code authenticates itself, yeah, by predicting a number, a twelve-digit number that came up thirty-eight years in the future, 
when our physicists determine this number, working on the fine structure constant, okay? And it's something that Cole Sagan had said. You know, if uh, the fine structure constant ever came up in a message that we believe was from a, an advanced intelligence or civilization, this is something that would make us sit up and take notice. It'd be worthy of considerable attention, he said. You know, and it has. It's happened with a Reynoldsian incident. And if people were to realise this and see how it actually does this, because it's such a clever way that it it shows us the the uh, fine structure constant number, twelve digits, twelve digit number. It's so clever they do that, and they do it with they do it through the through Giza, through the through the you know the Giza plateau and and the latitude there. Uh, in 1980. So if they were to actually understand this, get their head around it, understand it, they would see that you wouldn't have to sensationalise this incident. You know, and the code proving itself mathematically proves that the incident was paranormally significant because the code is, uh, it's like a demonstration of retrocausality. The information has been sent back to the past that has an effect on the present, which at the time was 2018 when this number came up, and will have an effect on the future. So, you know, and that in itself is just, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it could only have happened in 1980. Mm-hmm. The only way this demonstration <clears throat> of retrocausality could, ha- could, could have been implemented was in 1980, not the year before, not the year after, not the years before the year, years after, but on that year, in the whole timeline of human history, that is the only year they could have done it. Mm. And people aren't aware of this yet. And people ain't got their head around this yet. I have. I understand it. A few other mathematicians I know understand it. They're PhD mathematicians, a couple of them. Um, Manu Saifzadeh, you know, who I've been working with because his work comes up in the code. It's being pointed to by the code, but from a code that was in 1980s, pointing to work he was he was doing in 2018 when I first met him. Yeah. So when people get their head around this, they will know that this is true contact with an advanced intelligence that's not confined by uh, the laws of our temporal spatial reality. Mm. I wouldn't, you know, I, it could they could be us from the future. Some intelligence that's outside our timeline in another dimension or whatever. In any case, the, the code proves itself and it proves that the incident involving something, you know, we can't explain took yeah. place. And more importantly, more importantly, it proves that I wasn't having a mental breakdown. No, <laughs> yeah, it does. Back I mean, in 1980, that. you know, because you, you know what? I mean, there, I never talked about that, you know, because yeah. I was yeah. ashamed of it, ashamed of the whole thing, you know. I'll tell you what's an important think- thing between, if you don't mind, Gary, um, there's an important thing meta here. I've, I've, I have heard it suggested by one or two people in the past that you two sort of got, got together to conjure up this whole thing to make a big yarn and story. I mean, obviously, I don't believe that, and, and I know many people don't believe it. If they see the amount of... But it has been suggested that you two got together. No. So maybe you could explain how you and Jim got together to actually... I will. I will. You never I knew each other say- at the time, did you? No, I w- no, I'll have to say first that all the data that's come out, those seven coordinates, as I said, I've said this loads of times, it could fill three or more books, mm-hmm. you know, three large volumes. And um, no, I mean, it's just crazy the amount of data that's come out. It's not something that I could ever devise. It's not something that Jim could. I mean, and Jim doesn't, you know, he's not aware of all the things that I have, you know, um, researched over the years. 
Um, and, and I feel I was being prepared to work on the code, you know, through all this work I was doing. Um, because it's the way I approach the code. I suppose it took someone like me who approaches it in a certain, you know, approaches things in a certain way to decipher it. Uh, and all the information that's in that, that's encapsulated in those seven coordinates. No, it's not something that I can't even, I can't even imagine anyone on this planet devising it, you know, in the way it has, because it predicts things in the future. It predicts things that when I actually find something in the code, it, it, it's kind of related to something that's happening in the present. You know, this is mm. years after 20, mm. uh, sorry, years after 1980. And the other thing is, is that we would have to have the mapping programs, calc online calculators, you know, uh, reliable uh, calculators and, and tools to be able to decipher the information that's encapsulating the seven coordinates. You know, and, and the last, last, information last amount of data that was the mapping of Giza was only completed in 2018 so again you got the 2018 year 1980 2018 those years are pivotal and um as i said a lot of the tools programs and mapping data that we needed to decipher the code only came out years years later you know so that in itself just shows you that this is time related it's time sensitive it's something i never you yeah. know, I never, I never knew Gary. Um, that was the original question. I never knew Gary, uh, and uh, I was uh, having dreams about twenty-three and a half, twenty-three and a half. So, I mean, it was just crazy. Twenty-three point five degrees. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, this this uh, mutual friend says, you know, I know a guy. She says that uh, has done work somehow with the with this these type of numbers. I said, okay. So that's the contact. And I don't know what year was that. It was, I don't know, Gary, what year? 20, like? 2010, 2010, because that's when it, you first sent me an email okay. with the 23.5 in the title. And uh, yeah. And yeah Cause you was, thought it was something else was, as well, didn't you? You, you? you thought those figures meant something else. No, he, he thought, but he told me in the email that he thought it had something to do with temperature on the planet. Well, yeah. And yeah. then I said, then I told Jim in a, in a reply saying, no, no, it's the, uh, it's the Earth's tilt angle, the obliquity angle of the Earth in respect to the ecliptic plane, no, 23.5 degrees. I mean, it's 23.43 now because it's slowly decreasing, but in most textbooks on the subject, it will give the, num it will give the uh, generic 23.5, you know, a round off number. But, yeah. And, and the other thing, uh, when, the, when the binary came, uh, it, I left Gary alone with it, and I want. And he was a skeptic, and I wanted him yeah. to. Yeah, oh, I am. I'm still there. <clears throat> uh, yeah, you are. That's right, you are. And uh, and that's you know, and bless you for that because that's yeah. it's in a, in a good way. It is, and uh, because that was it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I left Gary alone for ages on uh, after I gave him the binary, and he thought he don't. He thought I forgot about it or something. I don't know. And I got a hold of him. I said, No, I don't want to influence you. Yeah. It's, so it's right. just the opposite. I don't know. Is that? Did we put that in the final version of Enigma? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I mentioned it. I mentioned it. I'm going to have to reread it <laughs> because yeah. I actually got I actually got a bit pissed off with you, really, because <laughs> he wasn't giving me any feedback on what I was finding. Yeah. First of all, he was just going, "Yeah, mm. all right, that's interesting. Mm. Okay." Um, yeah. And and, yeah. and then he said to me, then he explained that no, I don't want to kind of influence you in any way or kind of you know. Um, 
put you in a on a certain path with it. You know, I want you to yeah. find what you find and where the chips fall. That's that's, that's right. It. That's right. So, and that was what what it was. He left and, me alone to do it. And and that's where we're at today here. Yeah. I mean, it's in. It, I tell you what, I don't know if other people would have done it that way, but I think by Gary having nobody influence him and he was just doing his own work with it. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the key to him discovering his discoveries. Yeah. Can I tell you something that I don't have any, look, I, I haven't really got much interest in UFO um, phenomenon to tell the truth from what I see on Facebook, what I, you know, cause it's all UFO, this UFO, that, uh, especially with the people that have befriended me on there. Um, and they make me join these groups, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. a load of misinformation. It's just, disinformation and you know people getting things wrong and uh i used to be interested in the subject but now i'm weary of it you know but i you know i don't believe in a lot of these you know ufo cases um there's a few that i i think you know happened the way they say it did but <clears throat> at the end of the day i know that that code is authenticated itself and it's uh it's proof of contact it's proof of contact with an advanced intelligence whatever it is and that to me is um yeah that that's the crux of the whole thing for me uh all the other ufo stuff in relation it's kind of irrelevant to me this is what actually proves it uh, people won't know that until they actually get their head around what i'm you know when i get books out on the findings of the code and hopefully they will understand it they will see, they will then see that this is uh, something that's made me sit up and take notice, put it that way. Because I am sceptic. I am a sceptic, really. I have got to have the facts, and, and these are mathematical facts that you can't refute. So, you know, to me, that is the jewel in the crown. <laughs> kind of dramatic, that, isn't it? Yeah, we've come to a pause there, haven't we? <laughs> Nobody knows what to say now. Uh, Funny enough, I, was no, gonna I, ask, I was going to ask you uh, that actually later on. Do you, do you believe in the UFOs and things or, or most of the stories? But um, you sort of answered that question anyway, Gary. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of weary of it. And, uh, and yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I do know what you mean. Uh, and then people are saying, know. claiming that they're from the ninth dimension or something. And, and yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. Stating things as facts and, and it's all yeah, yeah. when you hear stories like that, I mean Jim's Jim's story Jim's the same. is is, is cool. Yeah, I'm I'm no different than Gary on this, you know. And the other thing that adds to all this mumbled UFO jumble stuff that's out there is all the false flag uh, you know, uh operations are going on, you know. The, yeah, you know, the stuff that's to make us believe that you, to make us believe the UFO phenomenon is a threat. You know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah <laughs> stuff that comes out of the Pentagon. Of course, that's all. That's all false flag. Yeah, they got uh, you know weaponization of it. That's a false flag. I mean, there's just so much many false flag stuff. It's and, to keep us uh, all scared. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or no, so you don't watch what the right hand is doing. You got the mm. left hand flopping all over the place, and yeah. that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that don't help either. And then you have people that actually. Uh, 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 I don't know if I want to say that like that, but there are people that uh, have given accounts that uh, are just plain 
you know, fabricated. <laughs> or something. I don't want. I got to be careful what I say. Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's plenty of those out there. Not just the case you're talking about, I don't think, but there's plenty of cases out there. (laughs) Yeah, but but it doesn't discount out of the you know doesn't discount the one percent that they Mm. can't explain. I agree. Yeah, uh, you know, which is still a huge number, you know, per year. Mm. Uh, You know, but uh, you know, usually people just don't know what the hell they're looking at, and Mm. they have no background of what they're looking at. And I mean. uh, the case of uh, uh, there's just just uh, you know it's even worse nowadays with all the drones. They got drones all over the place. Yeah. You, know, you, you can have one, Gary, uh, or uh, Gary can have one, or you can, David, in your backyard, and you know, yeah, freak everybody out. You know, make you look like a flying yeah. saucer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I um. Well, the other part of it is uh, everybody's trying to make money on this, I think. These yeah, they're trying come... to, but they're trying yeah. to control the narrative, aren't they, of the Rendlesham incident? They're trying to control the narrative. Like Gary Esmontine yeah. is, for instance, um, uh, Burroughs, you know, John Burroughs is trying to control the narrative now. And and um, I'm thinking this isn't about anyone, you know. Absolutely. Really, and you, you agree with me that the incident was about the code because that's Absolutely. what proves it because it, mm. it's mathematical, so you yeah. can't really refute it. And um, and the thing is, I get ignored. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get this across to people, and these people that, you know, so-called investigators, uh, researchers of the RFI, they, they ignore me. I post something, they ignore me. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, it's in their best interest to do that, really, because right. they still want to... And it's like they've got no other choice because they want to be in the position to be able to control a narrative. So they've got to carry on. And the only way they can do that is by ignoring them and yeah. the code. I think the thing is, Gary, they can't really argue with you, can you? Because you can you can sort of blind them with all the fi- facts and figures and they can't really yeah, argue. I've got you. everything to back up what I'm saying. I know, that's what I've I mean. got all the mathematical proof to back up what I'm saying. And I'm talking about using um, the most reliable tools, you know, accurate tools mm. available to be able to do it. And uh, I was meant, it, the way I see it, whoever devised the code, it's like, they knew what tools I would use and when yeah. to be able to decipher each part of the code. And, uh, you know, it's like someone looking over your shoulder in the future or outside of time and, and yeah, going, yeah. okay, yeah. I, I, don't, I right. don't know if you might say this right at the end, what you told me last time about uh, yeah. you might, <laughs> I'll leave you, I'll leave you to say that. I think you know what I mean about uh, yeah. going full circle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what, what about the, yeah, but maybe, um, it was, maybe you were telling yourself, at the end of the day. Oh, no, no, I know what you're saying. No, no, be, me and Jim had a discussion about it and we kind of had a laugh. Saying, the, whole, um, the whole thing goes full know, circle. Yeah, it's like, you know, the books are going to, the book has already come out, you know, with this, the way the code authenticates itself in the last chapter, you know, the uh, the Reynoldsham Enigma book. Um, but I'm going to be coming out with a find, the, the other findings that I found, you know, um, in the code that emerged from the code over the last, I don't know, since 2018, actually. And um, those books are going to be out. They're going to be published. And um, you you would say, well, if they're published, they're in the public domain, and they will remain in the public domain so many years into the future. Mm. And then one day in the future, they find out how to break the time barrier, and they think, oh, we can send things back in time. Let's take those coordinates that are in that code that's in that book. You know, it encapsulates all this data, all this information, and send them back to 1980. So, you know, <laughs> so it's like 
where does the loop end and where does it begin? You know, there's kind of, you're trapped in a kind of loop. Yeah. yeah. If you look at it that way, you know, it's kind of mind boggling. It is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's lots to say about the code. There's going to be a hell of a lot of things to say about the code in the future when people get their head around it. But at the well, moment, you know, you know I'm patient. Are you going to try and take us through a bit of it or not, you know, take the audience through a little bit of it? I, I, yeah, know, it's difficult. I know it's difficult on radio, but um, you can probably put the top over... of my head, yeah, there's several themes that come out of the code, you know. that uh, It's like a whole... It's like a sphere of information. Like One thing uh, will confirm something, and that thing will be confirmed in turn by something else. So it's all... And it all matches up mathematically. You know, it's like a ball like a grid of information they're all kind of one thing leads to another and another thing leads to that and that's you know confirming that and you know so it's all kind mm-hmm. of self um refer- referencing and um that's the that's the thing about it you 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 know you know that you can't really pick it apart it all matches up and it's all very meticulous the way it's all uh, all this data emerges and to think that jim just wrote down ones and zeros which contain these coordinates and encapsulate all this information is incredible so um what i was going to say there's several themes that come out of the code and one of them is to do with the earth's axis the tilt of the earth yeah um the 23.5 degree angle that keeps coming up in the code um there's uh the azores which is uh you know, where they, they believe that Atlantis once was. You know, there's a you know a whole lot of um, conjecture about it, about the, the islands of the Azores being the peaks of the mountains of Atlantis. So it's pointing to the Azores in several different ways. Um, yep, you've got a timeline at Giza, which is the Giza diagonal, which the southeast corners of the pyramids are, are kind of touching. Um so it's like an abstract line, but that line is actually a timeline. You can measure, you can measure it one way and then the other, and it's like a processional cycle timeline. Processional cycle is twenty five nine twenty years according to the ancient estimate. But this, uh, the length of the Giza diagonal is one sixth of uh, half a processional cycle. So um, it's a timeline, and you can find dates on that timeline. And the processional, the reason why they've got a timeline there, whoever in, whoever constructed Giza, they've encoded this timeline at Giza to show that there are cataclysm dates that come around cataclysm times in the in the processional cycle that come around again and again. So it's like warning us, yeah. So you've got the Earth's axis, you've got the uh, the Azores, which is Atlantis uh, that they believe is Atlantis. You've got the um, timeline at Giza, which is a processional time on. It's showing these cataclysm dates on it. Um, and you, you've got the 8100 year, haven't you, which was in the in the code, in the first line of the code, which was the original. It says a date of origin or whatever. And it's that's in the future. And that date is actually on the timeline. You can find it on the Giza diagonal timeline, 8100. Um, mm. So, and then there's a Svalbard seed ball. You know, that the code is pointing to the Svalbard seed ball. Um, Svalbard, which is the, the Norwegian, um, it's, where the, it's where they keep all the seeds of the, of the country's seeds that in case there's a, you know, a cataclysm, you know, a global catastrophe, they keep all the seeds locked in that seed bank. 
and it's pointing to that as well. So when you look at all this together, it's like telling us that some kind of cataclysm comes around and again and again. And the timeline at Giza points back to 10, 460 BC, which is 12,500 12, years ago. You know? And that's when they say when the, the younger Dryas uh, catastrophe, uh, catastrophe happened at the time. I oh, know, was it? it wasn't catastrophes. What Graham Hancock has been kind of um, alluding to, you know, that there was a cataclysm around that time, which you could say coincides with the sinking of Atlantis. And... So um, there's all these themes that are telling us this, and, and that's all aside from the way that it authenticates itself. So it authenticates itself first, and then you find all these themes that are emerging from the code telling, warning us about, well, telling us about cataclysm that happened in the past and will happen in the future. So, yeah, it's, it's vast. And also at the same time, it's pointing to um, an area beneath the Sphinx, beneath the right forepaw of the Sphinx, which is where Manu saves the day's uh, data comes into it, you know, because he's written this book. Where is it? Under the Sphinx. Under the Sphinx, it's called. Yeah. Now, it, it was Manu who contacted me, first of all, because he was really kind of knocked out by some of the things that were in Robert Bovell's book that I contributed an appendix to. And um, he was, he said he was impressed by the math that I'd found, you know, in the, the mathematical properties of the Great Pyramid. And um, so he met, so I, I met him in 2018. He came down to see me, actually. He had, he had lunch with me and Eva. And, he, and uh, we were talking about his new discoveries and stuff. And uh, found that the code was actually pointing to the Sphinx, to the left forepaw of the Sphinx, and a void area underneath the Sphinx, which was uh, found through tomo tomo uh, tomography scanning um, by... Uh, Robert Schock and Thomas De Becky in 1991, they found a void under the arm, uh, under the forepaw. And Manu's work is about this. Um, he says that there was a cache of records placed under there, deposited under there, um, which was breached. Uh, they, but he says there's something under the Sphinx. It's kind of like a, a cave or temple or some, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, area that underground chamber or something so um and the code is pointing to that but it not only points to the sphinx with this heading line from the geezer corners found in the code but it if you take the heading line right back the other way in the opposite direction leads all the way to san miguel in the in the uh azores which is only 290 square miles in an ocean that's uh, one was it 14.1 million square miles? So it's like a needle in an haystack. Mm. Now, you know, I'm rambling a bit here because I'm talking, I'm talking about all this off the top of my head, but I've got it all, um, I've got it all documented. I've got it all written down. And I sent Jim a PowerPoint presentation of what I've just told you. And he, he said he understands it. He gets it now. So, mm. yeah. yeah. You sent it to me, actually. I've got it here as well. I keep looking at it. That's, I think that's the one you sent me, isn't it, Gary? Yeah, so what the code is doing, it's uncovering, it's yeah. telling us about things that we have, have mystified us for, for centuries, you know, especially about Giza. And the thing is, I've only concentrated on Giza, really. I haven't, I haven't really studied the other six sets of coordinates properly. 
Mm. I mean, you can't really study high Brazil, you know, high, high Brazil, which is on the which is off the west coast of um, Ireland, under the sea. So you can't, you know, uh, mm. what can you say about that? You know, you, you can only research the history of it in uh, in certain yeah. sources that have mentioned it. I mean, anyone listening uh, to this show and, and, and to put in what Gary's talking about, this um, presentation that he's done, I'll, I'll actually put them on the, on the Paranormal Dimensions page, all this lot, the whole lot, so you can actually see all uh, Gary's presentation. That's all right, Gary, isn't it, to do that? Yeah, I, w- I want to say also, and I'll add that, you know, the first line of the code is, uh, the code message is exploration of humanity. <laughs> and really, when you, when you look at what the, well, emerges from the code, it's uh, telling us about, as I said, it's uncovering secrets that we, you know, we didn't know about, about Giza. And it will mostly, uh, what comes out of there is from Giza, but there's other, the other coordinate sites that we still got to find out about. But mm. when you look at the, the type that, that, sorry, that, that piece of text in the first line, exploration of humanity, then that's what it's, that's what comes out of the code. It's like this exploration of all these sites, you know, and, and what, what they hide, you know, especially at Giza. Mm. What's been encoded there. What's... And then so, you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, why is it, why, uh, you know, when you look at Giza and what's been encoded there, and I say what's been encoded there because of that timeline, um, and all the mathematical properties of it, you think, so was it really the ancient Egyptians that constructed Giza or did they come later and then they appropriated the pyramids for their, for their different reasons? You know, like maybe they were used as tombs, mm. but they were already built. And who, and if so, who built the pyramids? You know, did it come from the same intelligence that sent the code from the future? Mm. You know, mm. so <laughs> anyway, apart from that, Gary, you you actually were going to talk. You you were talking about something else that happened on the base at the time as well, weren't you? You were going to, you were going to mention. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. I, I just want to say that what I just told you, we can speculate about that information, you know, but that, mm. but, but I'm talking about the mathematical facts that lay out this information. Then you can speculate about it. I mean, we can all speculate, but, you know, we might be wrong on certain things, but anyway, what I was going to say is what gets me is this lighthouse theory, why they keep, they keep peddling, yeah? Like Ian... In Ripath, um, he's still saying it now. He's still on on online talking about and, the lighthouse. Uh, is it Doctor David Clark as well? Isn't it the same one? Yeah, they're still peddling that same old. You know, it's just a waste of time. It's been a waste of time throughout the years. I keep talking about it. So anyway, um, I'll read this out because I want to get the details out. I could probably tell you off the top of my head, but I think it's best that people know the details. Sorry, Jim, is there anything more you want to say? Yeah, this is quite explosive, what uh, Gary's going to read. Yeah, so in the foreword, I've got to read it out. In the foreword of the book that Nick Pope had co-authored with Jim Pennison and John Burroughs under the title Encounter in Mendelssohn Forest, published in 2014, Nick Pope writes, by the MOD's own admission, there was no definitive explanation for the Mendelssohn Forest incident, and the case remains unexplained to this day. However, when pressed to make a statement on the incident, the MOD has consistently said that the events were judged to be of no defence significance. Okay. Nine years ago, that book was published. You know what Jim did mm. with John and Nick? Uh, 
So, you know, time just flies, isn't it? Nick has mentioned that many times, by the way, but if so, then how are we to explain the testimony of USAF retired tech sergeant Mark E. Cartier? Yeah. During, the 19, during 1980, when the Reynoldsham incident happened, Mark Cartier, who was then an airman first class and had been in the USAF for 10, uh, sorry, for two years, was stationed at Helen, Helenicon, that's right, I think that's how you pronounce it, Helenicon USAF Air Base, Athens in Greece. Okay, and that was in, this was in 1980. Um, Airman First Class Mark Cartier was on a 12-hour mid-shift, which started at 7 7 p.m. on December the 25th and extended to 7 a.m. on December 26th. Um, The other person on the overnight shift with him was his supervisor, Tech Sergeant Terry Knight. At some time in the early morning hours of December the 26th, Jim, which was when you had the encounter with the unidentified craft of unknown origin. Uh, the 2140th Communications Group Com Center received a flash precedence classified message. Okay. Mark explains that when a flash precedence med- message com- comes in, they get both an audible alarm and strobe flashes. Right? He added that when a message of this level is received, standard operating procedures are to drop everything and process with extreme urgency. It was Mark's supervisor, Tech Sergeant Terry Knight, who was standing near the DESTE printer, who had immediately recovered the message. Mark states that he did not remember the the classification, i.e. secret, confidential, etc., but did remember Tech Sergeant Knight's response and his order that was directed to Mark in which he paraphrases, and which Mark paraphrases as, holy shit, we've got a UFO at Bentwaters, call the base commander and get his ass down here. <laughs> Mark says that Tech Sergeant Knight had the kind of unfla- unflappable personality that was impossible to, re- to rattle, that he could have a grand piano drop on a sidewalk, missing him by inches, and he would just say calmly, that was close. <laughs> so for Tech Sergeant Knight to raise his voice with such excitement and urgency is something that Mark says he will never forget. Being such a young airman, Mark said he remembered thinking, oh, God, I have to call the base commander and tell him to get his ass down here. Do I even have that authority? But what Mark remembers saying was, sir, we have a flash precedence message that requires you to action immediately. And amazingly, Mark writes that the base commander arrived within seconds of Mark hanging up the phone and processing this message. <clears throat> so Mark goes on to say that the whole thing was surreal as he had never seen anything prior or since about UFOs. He remembers the message having described a situation where there was an actual unidentified craft within the vicinity of the Bentwaters and Woodbridge air bases in Suffolk, England, to be of an unknown disposition or threat. And as a condition of this, all European bloc military bases were to go on alert status. Mark says that they went from DEFCON 4 to DEFCON 2 DEFCON 1 being at war, you know, and it was just one away from that. So Mark states that DEFCON 2 was a state of readiness that he had never seen. He only adds, sorry, he then adds that the security police he had passed at the base gate when coming to work that morning or that night, sorry, the night before, were wearing side arm pistols only, but 
upon leaving, they had M, M16, um, M16s, or M, no, whatever you call it. M16. Right, yeah, M, M1, yeah, M16 rifle, M16 rifles. Um, Mark remembers this being a very significant event, and as that, how, how the Air Force reacted proved to him that, quote, the military in general treats these matters very seriously. Mark then ends with writing his name, Marky Cartier, Tech Sergeant, USAF, retired October 24th, 2019. That's, that's when the statement was given. Marky Cartier's testimony reveals that this UFO incident in the vicinity of the twin bases in Suffolk, England, was indeed considered of defence significance by the European USAF air bases. And this also means that the Reddlesham UFO incident was not a so-called military black box operation to test the responses of the USAF airmen employed at the twin bases, as some believe or will use to manipulate public opinion about the incident. Furthermore, Jim will tell you right, that this testimony by Mark E. Cartier is peripheral confirmation that his up-channel report was received exactly. by the HQ USAF and down-channeled as an alert message to other USFA, USAF bases in Europe. Mm, so, exactly. So, so, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, a one, it's wonderful what these lighthouses can do. You know? yeah. yeah, it kind of blows them bloody right out of water, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the lighthouse you know and that's really, uh, you know, because I questioned before, you know, how far did my up-channel helping hand uh, actually go? Well, it went all the way to JCS at you know at the Pentagon because that's yeah. the only people that can issue those type of orders down channel. Uh, and in, in the, the comm center that um, uh, Mark worked at is one of the well, it, it's probably classified at the time. It's not now. Yeah, I mean, right. We right. dismantled our forces over there pretty much, but it was yeah. a common point where <laughs> that is a common nodal point where they would go ahead and then selectively you know give right. out. Uh, alerting orders to other uh, comm centers at different bases and everything else. And uh, what I found a unique, because I've sat down and actually uh, had the opportunity to talk to Mark about it uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, what I thought was interesting is they only had select bases go on DEFCON changes, which I thought was really odd because normally a DEFCON change would actually uh, be Air Force wide. But yeah. the other thing that like Gary is saying, uh, it also uh, showed that there's a lot of peripheral stuff that was going on at the exact time, you know, because of the up-channel report. So this does not involve just England. This involves Europe, and then it involves the United States. I mean, we're on different continents now. I mean, it's all over the place yeah. uh, where, where the impact of this was, was going on. Uh, so with these types of thoughts and these types of facts that have been presented, you, you hear some idiot and they, they're idiots <laughs> say it was a lighthouse for the last, for the last 42 years, you know, they can't really sing that song and dance anymore, but you know what they have to, because they've been doing it for 42 years. Uh, so you, when you hear that happen, you go, well, those people that are just blowing smoke up people's butts, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's they, right. It's what it's all for. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I said, what are they trying? You know, what what's the purpose <clears throat> behind that? What is the purpose behind that? How yeah. could a lighthouse lead to DEFCON 2, you know? <laughs> they can't. 
I mean, the thing is also, I've always said that there would have been a lot more UFO reports as well, wouldn't there, over the years? Than the, I know there were a few before, you know, other than the RFI, but so there would have been a lot more, wouldn't there, over the years? Yeah, but this just goes to show that what Jim had encountered in the forest had led to that, you know, Mm, had led to that. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, you know, and the other thing, (laughs) I mind you that uh, Mark uh, uh, Cartier, he has, you know, he had a, he had top secret clearance at the time. He, you know, he wasn't just some airman that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing, uh, you know, doughboy duties. I mean, this guy here, they used to invest a lot of money in this. Yeah, I didn't really go into what he was actually yeah. involved doing. Yeah, but, his, yeah. Right, his, his <laughs> service record after that is just like stellar stuff, man. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. This, yeah, this is not, I... Go ahead, Gary. No, no, because I'm going to be diverting onto something completely different, but Go on, you just end what you're going to say. No, it's just that uh, when you have credible people actually come up, you know, uh, versus people that are, uh, I don't know, like are, you know, just making stuff up. I mean, because we've well, had a lot they, of that. They've uh, got an agenda to, you know, convince the public that this didn't happen, you know, the way, you know. Well, you know, you know, uh, uh, what I like is that. Ever since the book has come out, the Reynolds News, uh, witnesses have come forward. Uh, I mean, real witnesses, credible like Mark, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know we verified it. We went, you know, and did all the verification process with him. I mean, everything he says is is accurate. And yeah. uh, and uh, by putting that book out, we have uh, had you know nothing but more support and more statements yeah. to go ahead and uh, yeah. uh, say that. The Reynolds of Enigma, yeah, that's that's what happened. You know, what's in there. That's true. Uh, versus, no, we're debunking it and we're taking pieces away yeah. from it, like like these people think they can do. They can't. They cannot debunk the incident itself and what happened out there. It is historical fact, whether it's classified mm-hmm. or not, or sitting in the Pentagon or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And that's another interesting fact is, uh, you know, I even, my statement, my original statement, four-page statement, uh I had that confirmed by Colonel Highbush uh, when he replaced uh, Major Zickler. He called me right down to, in the office. I wanted yeah. to talk about that. I wanted to talk oh. about that. No, okay. I, I, but one point I want to make here is that the people that are trying to debunk the, the RFI, the, the pseudo-skeptics, because they're not really balanced, you know, fair-minded skeptics, uh, healthy-minded skeptics. They are pseudo-skeptics because they're already biased and, right. you know, um so they're this kind of materialist view and and they so they will say that um because they talk about a light ass theory all the time but they won't read it but they won't read our book right where we've got all the explanations that they keep for the things that they keep bringing up and they'll continue to do so and they refuse to read our book because they perhaps have heard that it has all the answers in there and they don't want to look at that they, their, their agenda is to to change public's you know, the public opinion uh, to what they believe, you know. So um, I don't know if I've stated that properly, but what I was going to say, you know, when uh, they keep coming up with this, you didn't get any further than 50 metres, yeah. So you know about that, David, didn't you? Mm, yeah. They, they keep bringing this up. And they brought it up today. There was, on the, there was something, on, uh, something on the internet, on the ATS site, you know, where... Oh, Jim didn't get any further than 50 metres. Well, Jim 
went into uh, the OSI building on the 29th of December because um, uh, he, was, he was ordered to go there, you know, and be there at nine o'clock in the morning. And then when he got in there, the agents said to him, we want you to write out a statement of what, you, what happened, what you experienced. And Jim sat down. Okay, they gave him a legal pad, a yellow legal pad uh, and a pencil. And they said, we want you to write your statement. So Jim wrote down everything. He didn't write about the binary, kept the binary out of it because he didn't, I didn't want... know about I didn't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. He didn't talk yeah. about the binary, but he did in this, he wrote out a four page statement where he mentioned getting close to the craft and touching it. Um, and you, yep. you signed it and you initialed each page, you dated it. Dated it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, then they took that four-page statement away from Jim and they went away for 20 minutes or so. And then they came back with a typed-up half-page text, uh, this statement that they said to Jim, you've got to memorise this, read it, memorise it, and this is what you're going to be telling people from now on if they ever ask you about your role in the incident. Uh, and that means even the officers, you know, at Bentwaters, you're going to tell them this statement, what you reading this statement and in the statement it says that Jim didn't get any further than 50 meters but you see that was taken from Jim's statement where he actually said at one point he got they got about 50 meters away and they saw this bright light then he went further and said that he got right up to the craft and touched it but they took that 50 meters statement that Jim made and then said that's how how far he got yeah yeah now Jim's four page statement was taken away and that's when Jim was saying that Colonel Ibush. Yeah, you know that was at the that, Pentagon. That, right, the the OSI statement that, that they did, that cover statement, the this, that there wasn't signed. Or it's the only statement that's not signed, isn't it? Yeah. So what Why, it is, it's been it's a bogus statement that's been wrongly attributed right. to you, but it's not even got your name on it. It's got no date no. or anything like that. <laughs> no. And your four page statement ended up in the Pentagon because that's where Colonel Ibush had seen it and read it. Yeah, he told me that, and that was what our meeting was. He was on—he was only in a squadron commander for like for a day or two, and he called me up there, and um, and so he wanted to talk about, uh, you know, about the Bentwater yeah. situation. And I, he said, "I read the statement at the Pentagon," and I, so that was my confirmation that the statement I wrote it down at the OSI building actually made it to the Pentagon. So yeah. I was like. Okay, so they actually know what ha- what happened out there, you know. He was the uh, top security cop in the USAF. Uh, yeah, that's that was one thing. He, that's another thing. Why would a full colonel replace a major? Uh, that yeah. don't make sense, does it? No. Yeah, but and uh, why would it was someone like that with that status say to you, Jim? You know, I've got your back, and if you've got any problems yeah. while in the USAF, you come to me. Which is yes, and it's all in the book, and. Uh, he said that to yeah. me. Uh, uh, he said, "If you have any more issues with it, you know, whether it, what's you know, you know, medical or whatever, come to me." You yeah. know? And uh, and he continued to do that throughout my rest of my Air Force career, no matter mm. what base I was at. Yeah. Uh, um, and he later became, uh, of course, Chief of Security Police for United States Air Force Europe uh, out of Ramstein. And, you know, which was a bit odd. I described that in the book when you have him, like, come and see you. <laughs> That's yeah, a little yeah. bit, it's like, why is that? Why is the top cop in the Europe coming to see you, Jim? What, what's the yeah. deal? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't talk about it, you know. But then so you've got, but, but you see, with that, then you've got um, Gary Eseltine with his book trying to elevate Larry Warren, people like Larry Warren. <laughs> and who else is it? Kind of Michael, Stacey Smith, or whatever. These people are, are, and Longero above Jim, about, you know, that they're more credible. Uh than Jim is, you know. But look, what I want to say is everything that we've been talking about here is in our book. But the skeptics and pseudo-skeptics, they won't, they won't read it. So they, they, they're none the wiser about these explanations that we give. And, and, yeah, um, but you know what? But you they know keep bringing up the same old I, stuff. Gary, I don't care about those idiots. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I have the most confidence that anybody can have in, in the public. Yeah. I think the reader <laughs> reads that book, the ones that have anyway, and some are on their third and fourth and fifth reading. They love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're always finding something they missed before. Uh, yeah. They have, they have been very receptive and very uh, uh, supportive of it. And yeah. uh, I think I had the confidence in the public to go ahead and, 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 be you know make the right decisions and understand what really happened you know well, that's the reason why yeah that's that's true mark cartier himself read the book because we couldn't include his testimony or his statement because he he got in touch with you in september uh, a few months after well, some some months right. after the book was published but he must have read the book to get in touch with you and then he said and he gave this statement didn't he mm. and we haven't included that in the book obviously because it came after but and that's the reason why I read it out now because not pe- a lot of people are aware of that. Um, yeah. So, uh, but they don't read our book, as I said. The skeptics don't read our book, so they're not aware of all these explanations. That- well, just a little bit about Hesitine. I mean, he don't know. He's clueless. Okay, he really is. Um, <laughs> one is just take for example. He thinks the RAF, um, an RAF. Uh, uh, police or security is the same as the United States Air Force security. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no, they are not. I mean, I think I, he even, I heard him say about they're using uh, patrol dogs around the WSA or uh, we don't do that. That's something the RAF does. We yeah. have what we call electronic stuff, you know. We yeah. have fence sensors and made mile system and all these electronics. And even back then, that's what we had. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so it's not the same. I th- I would say more or less nothing gets RAF security, but they're more guards than anything else. Uh, you know, and it's just different. Um, uh, uh, there's just I just oh, I just don't want to go into it. Okay, uh, it, I better yeah. just leave it like that. Yeah, I think you ought to mention, Jim, also that um, Gary Hesitant's book, he's, he's never spoken to you at all, has he? He's never interviewed you, and yet he's written 65 no. pages about you. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I've a, known that, Jim. That's incredible. Huh. I've known Jim 12, I've known Jim 12 years now. Um, we, you know, we've had loads of discussions, and I've questioned Jim. You know, I've cross-examined him. Um <laughs> Analytically, yeah. you know, yeah, I look you at have. everything analytically. I need the facts. They've got to be rational, logical. And Jim <laughs> does explain things. I mean, there are things that you say, Jim, that, you know, you don't actually get a clear kind of picture of what you're saying. But when I ask you, Jim, can you clarify this? And you do. And you see, that's what the, uh, 
these uh, skeptics haven't done. They 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 haven't got those explanations from you on the things that they pick up, which they don't understand, or they've misread or misheard. Yeah, it's a pretty simple process. You know. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, you know, out of uh, that's another interesting. Out of all the people that are experts on it and people I've been around, and yeah. you know, I can count on my right hand probably yeah. the people that actually ask me a question. Yeah, you know, and during yeah. an interview, I mean, it, the rest of them, I don't know where they get their information from. I guess from watching uh, 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 documentaries that have a their agenda is to make money, which for the film company, I guess they'll, you know, and they have selected ed- editing and they edit to, to make the most sensational stuff come out. I mean, maybe that's what they use, or maybe, uh, uh, you know, if it's something, main, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm Gary. just saying the, 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 the main criticism they have is, well, the main thing that they keep coming up with is Jim's book didn't um, come out until 20 years after the incident, you know, um, and you I wasn't book, ready. I wasn't ready you know, for it, man. Yeah, you oh, know, you, that you, there. No, no, I'm oh, talking, talking about the notebook. I thought they were saying about the Reynolds Shenanigans. I, I mean, it, that there took a that was a that took a long time to get myself up to the part where I could talk about everything. Uh, yeah, the notebook. But, the notebook. But the is, notebook. Yeah, they say it didn't appear until twenty years later. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that that was a uh, you know what am I do? Go ahead and uh, go public and say this is what I the stuff I wrote down. Yeah, that it. Uh, that when I lost my mind here because of, uh, you know, the trauma. Uh, oh, yeah, right. I'm going to talk about that. Anyway, uh, the notebook, uh, it, I don't understand about 20 years later. You know that's not correct. No, no, because yeah. I want to go on and say that you, oh, you, sorry. Retired, you retired on <laughs> October, I think it was the 31st, wasn't it? Oh, not October 30th. I said October 30th in the last interview we did, but it's October the 31st. Um in 1993, yeah. that's when you retired, right? Yes. And then 18 that. days, 18 days after that, you did a conference where you actually took the notebook along, and you were showing people because it's oh, in yeah. in your um, what the you were gonna, associ- in the, on the the pilots on the association. Document. Yeah, but on the on your uh, notes of what you were going to say that day. Oh, my talking paper. There. Yeah, I I never throw anything away. That was my talking paper. Yeah, and that. not only that, and then yeah. uh, December. Um, 93 was when uh, you was interviewed by Sally Rao, okay? And you were talking about the book, the notebook then. And not only were you talking about the notebook, but you talked about touching the symbol on the, on the, on the craft. And although you didn't go in, into the thing about the, the ones and zeros, because as I said, you was embarrassed by that. There's a lot of things, look, David, there's a lot of things that Jim is still embarrassed about the incident, you know, things he's uh, related even to even the, the dreams, but dreams are subjective anyway. But you've had a lot of dreams as that. There's a lot of information has mm. come out in your dreams, but mm. you won't go into that because it's all subjective. Um, your hypnosis, okay, what came out under hypnosis, you didn't want to know about. You didn't really want to see the, the the film that was taken of your hypnosis session, and so you didn't know right. a lot about what came out under hypnosis. So I had to transcribe it, and then I told you what you had said yeah and that was just amazed. done that was just done <laughs> like what 2019 or 2018 yeah. i don't know it's recent i no, i couldn't I, every time i attempted to listen to it uh, yeah. because gary wanted me to listen to it for for writing this yeah uh, Reynolds from enigma book i just couldn't do it i mean i uh, it was just too hard just too emotionally just too hard and yeah. i 
scary device about doing you know the transcript i said oh that's gonna take you forever i don't know it took him a long time but i don't know how many skype hours uh that's yeah. when you're in, you're in uk at time so i don't know how many skype hours it was you reading to me <laughs> what was right the, but what i was gonna say is it during your hypnosis session, you mentioned the notebook. You know that was in '94 when you had the hypnosis session. So when they say that the right. notebook wasn't didn't come out until 20 years later, and and Jim must have written a notebook out, well, all the things in the notebook, you know, later on, and, and kind of hoaxed the whole thing. It's just nah. And, and then the other thing, <clears throat> in 2019, I was at the uh, 50th symposium for Mufon in uh, yeah. Irvine. California, and I meet mm. Robert Wood, who is authenticator of documents. We had him look at some uh, the notebook in 2013 or something like that. No, it was 2012, and August. 2012. August 20, well, actually, July. But he gave. But you was sent Ali Dubrow, who was the um, yeah. producer or assistant That's or right. something on on That's the right. show. Yeah, she he sent uh, you what he, he he'd said. You know what he said right. about it. That's right. So he had looked at and done the authentication on. But anyway, in 2019, I got to go in, in a detail with him uh, on the authentication. You know, he went into about the ink. Uh, he went into the uh, paper. He went into all the stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. The yeah. age, the age of of deterioration. He says, yeah. "There's no doubt." He said it was done in the winter of uh, 1980. I mean, right. He, he yeah. said, I got the re I says, oh, I says, yeah. I says, uh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I know when I wrote it. So. And you were talking face to face <laughs> with him at a conference. I was face to face with him. Oh yeah, I read a conference. We were on a couple of panels together, yeah. and uh, and so we had a lot of time to do that. I really appreciate Robert. He's well respected in uh, as far as document authentication and that. And yeah. so you know, that's uh, 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 you know. That's for people that need confirmation. Uh, that's definitely confirmation. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so one of the people that keep bringing this issue up about a notebook not having, you know, been made public until twenty years later is John Burroughs, right? Um, and he says that he never saw you write anything in the notebook walking around. He didn't. He didn't he see a lot. Like, he didn't see much no. at all, did he? <laughs> but he never. He never kept the notebook himself anyway. I mean, you did because you had people all, who were working all, with you under you. Yeah, all my guys had notebooks. Every one of them. Yeah. Because I gave yeah. them to them. They all had notebooks. I wanted them to mm. record whatever happened out there, uh, and why they were working accurately. There was no guessing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, and David, right? The uh, OSI agents who uh, interviewed, who got Jim to do the statement, but on the day after, wasn't it? They interrogated you. It was on December the 30th. They interrogated you, and they put you under hypnosis. They gave you sodium pentothal, put you under hypnosis. They, yeah, I don't think they, it was hypnosis. It was sodium pentothal. Yeah, and they, they well, well, they put a block, didn't they? They put a block on your memory about the binary Well, that code. was discovered by the doctor in twenty. Uh, 20- uh, yeah. No, in 1994. You did your hypnosis. Story. Yeah, it all came out then. Well, but, yeah, but the hypnosis was for a sleep disorder, not for. Yeah, no, it wasn't anything to no. do with anything to do with UFOs. No, they didn't. It all came out under hypnosis, though. But it all came out under hypnosis that they put a block on your memory about the binary code part of your experience, you know, of your encounter with a craft. Um, and it was uh, what they did was they used um, a nursery rhyme. Uh, you know, Mary had a little lamb. And every time you try to remember that part of the incident, you'd hear someone 
reciting that nursery crime. Nursery rhyme, I should say. Yeah, it was a crime, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right the first time. I'm thinking of the Genesis album, Nursery Crime. But anyway, um, which I was writing about at some time. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, they put the block on his memory and then and the, the hypnotist found that block and removed it and then Jim was able to remember it properly. But what I didn't reckon on, people who put the block on Jim's memory, is that he already written down the ones and zeros in his notebook. And they didn't know about the notebook. But later, when they did find out about a notebook, they tried to they tried to um, uh, they tried to take it, didn't they, Jim? They tried different ways to try and get they your notebook. Did. They did, uh, but uh, unsuccessful for well for forty two years, you know. Yeah. So, so if if Jim um, had come forward with the notebook while he was still in the USAF, which he couldn't have done because the, the OSI told him, you know, you're you're just to tell this what we give you in this statement. All the time he was in the USAF, he couldn't say anything about it. But if he had done, the notebook would have been confiscated. He wouldn't have seen it again. Uh, yeah, that would have been a fact. I mean, you know, in OSI, didn't, didn't tell me this, is at the OSI building, I had agents down there for whom they worked with. I'm not 100% certain, okay? Yeah. I, I yeah. knew they weren't the OSI from the base, okay, because I knew them. So, so let's get uh, this straight, okay? What we want to say is, and the, you know, <clears throat> what when they say the notebook didn't come out until 20 years later no the notebook came out just days came out after the, you retired you were showing yeah, the notebook at a conference and you was in the you was talking about the notebook in the Sally yeah, that was with the pilots association up there and uh you know anybody that attended that can tell you that uh you know. so what i want to say is you mentioned the notebook as soon as you retired when you could talk about it yeah. and they and they, and they they keep saying that, oh, you didn't come out till later and Jim must have hoaxed the, the notebook. And, you know. Hey, I, I blame also <laughs> the strange but true. They should have just said the hell with those storyboards and just went and did the, the show. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty simple. Um, I mean, yeah. as far as, as far as, uh, I'll tell you, the state of mind of, uh, of, of Burroughs was not good that night. I mean, he, he was interrupting me and Stephens. I mean, he he yeah. didn't re, he doesn't remember stuff. Uh, the stuff he's telling, even about the second night, this is what he's told me. Even about the when he's when he went out there when Monroe Nevels and Hall mm. were out there, mm. uh, he only he, everything he t is talking about is from one of his, his hypnosis sessions from UFO people doing hypnosis that's all he's telling is what's going to happen under hypnosis not what he experienced even on the second night i mean i'm like yeah. what what is that about you know so and i you know it's so simple i've always told him i said well all you gotta do is remember i said why don't you go to the doctor or something like i did and, at know, the end of the day jim all the things that they are bringing up to try and discredit you and it's always you they try to discredit isn't it you know, they, they all get a kind of free pass. But it's always you they kind of down on all the time. And or they they either do that or they ignore you and they don't talk about you. Um they try to paint you out of the picture. Um I don't care if they but, want to paint me out of the picture. But at the That's end of fine. the day, all the things they've brought up, and I've listed them all. I've listed them all. I've written it all out. Where you've given the explanations for each one, and where I found that there's explanations for each one. I've written it all out. Even though a lot of it is in our book. I'm still going to be doing a publication, a, a side kind of like an accompanying book showing how all the things that they bring up can be explained away, you know, that, you know, 
Well, that should be a large book. That should be a large book. No, not book, really. It's not, yeah. a, it's, not, it's not a really large book. It won't be a large book, but um, a bit okay, good. Pages, but what I'm saying is, is that I've taken it all on board and I, I've given the explanations for each one where they have to stop doing that. You know, it's, they just haven't read our book and that's the reason mm. why they keep mm. on with it. Um, yeah, there was something no, else. Was there's no way that Jim could be written out of the story anyway. I think you're you're actually the main character, really. You know, even well, even more, even well, more so let's than go. Holt. Well, no, you well, are. Gary, no, you? Gary, Gary, let's go back. Or Gary, uh, David, no. let's go back. <laughs> let's go back, oh, David. Let's go back. What we said earlier, Rendlesham Forest is not about any individual. It's about no. the code. That's all yeah. it's about. Okay, so that's what we found uh, out. That's what no, we I agree with you there, but yeah, these 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 camps of people supporting different witnesses. No, <laughs> no, okay, I, I, yeah, it's I'll just ridiculous. ridiculous. It's yeah. ridiculous. Can I just add this? You said what comes up the way the code authenticates itself mathematically. Um, the facts about that alone makes all the he said she said stuff and all the keep things they keep bringing up and all what's put in. Um, uh, Ezel Tyne's new book is all irrelevant. It's all irrelevant. That fact alone that the code has authenticated itself with something that no one could have known, no one could have predicted, is itself alone. Is it makes everything else irrelevant? Hey and Gary, not only Gary, you're yeah. so hard. On, you're so hard on him. You know, all he's trying to do is have something to hand out or sell at a conference. That's what he's trying to do. I'd like <laughs> to. Are, I'd like to you know. talk. I'd like to talk to these people. I. Um, John Burroughs, I'm not going to be down on him so much now. Okay, I mean, the last okay. couple of interviews, the last couple of interviews he did, he didn't mention these things he, anymore. He didn't mention he can't, he can't help it, you know that. No, what I mean is he didn't he didn't mention all of all the issues that he kept bringing up about you. He hasn't done that in the last two interviews. So I'm thinking, okay, well, let's move forward now. You know, it's like right. I want to move forward. You want to move uh, forward. Well, yeah, you know, issues he don't, he don't want up. me to bring up issues that. Uh, in situations I know that he doesn't want public, you know, okay, about him. I mean, right, I won't okay. do that. Okay. No, I won't do that. But um, what I was going to say is, is that, yeah, we should move forward now. Um, but they keep, can't keep bringing up all these issues. It's what divides everybody. They, mm. What it is, they're all trying to uh, control the narrative themselves. You know, they want to be the go-to guy who knows about, the, gives the, has got the answers to the renishments and, and the thing is, is that we are not trying to control the narrative. The code is what is important here. And that's what, mm. you know, levels everything, you know, what the findings of the code, um, everything else is irrelevant to that. Yeah. It's just like Gary and I, we've talked, we said this numerous times, you know, the, the reason we wanted the Reynolds Nigma book out is to have the true account of Reynolds out, the definitive book. And then, you know, and then hopefully, with the with other people writing books, uh, you know, it would inspire other people to write books about it. You know, the research they're doing and stuff like that with the with the yeah. Reynolds incident, and uh, you know, and we're hoping the same with Gary's book. I mean, Gary is only going to be on this planet for so long; he can only write so many books, and someone's going to have to do the research uh, because, like you said earlier, you've only concentrated on one main site. In this tertiary and some two others, three, but each yeah. little site needs that full investigation, like each they do, like yeah. like he did with Giza, and Giza's not done. I mean, I I know there's more stuff coming there. It's it's it seems like yeah. 
it, what you said earlier, when you find out, and this was our wow factor when you first told me, I'll go back to that when you first told me about the code net, yeah, uh, authentication is, you know, I would go, wow, oh man, that's amazing, you know. But then that one wow thing would build. If it wasn't for that one wall thing, the next second all the wall other would thing. Yeah, the all second things wall. from it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the implications and, of it. And we're talking, I don't know, somewhere around, I don't know, 50 walls. I stopped doing the wall. It's just like, wow. You know, you, yeah, and you, you think, just, but this whole thing, David, see, people aren't understanding the way the code authenticates itself yet because they don't really know about the fine structure constant. Hmm. I mean, I didn't know until Robert Bovell, you know, kind of, discussed it with me and he kind of and i kind of got into it but um yeah i mean it's it's put it's it's a wall up for a lot of people they can't get their head around it at the moment a lot of people that i've talked to are not mathematicians so they just ignore it and mm. it's like oh, but it's, it's, it's very easy to just say oh i can't get my head around it i'll ignore that i mean i'm no good at, i'm I, I was never really good through mathematics but i've read it a few times and you can gradually get to understand what you're talking about right. oh i hated mathematics um, in school but i think i yeah, find I it's beautiful the math is beautiful mm. when you when you um really go into it or especially what the code tells us actually the code is telling us that everything is mathematical whoever devised the codes is saying that everything in reality is mathematical um you know that a circle you take a circle i mean the di uh, the diameter of the circle uh you know multiplied by 3.141's pi you know is going to be the circumference yeah so and that goes on everywhere in the universe it's going to be it's going to be um it's going to be real in every part of the universe that mm. so everything is mathematical. Yeah. Um, and that's what the code is telling us that actually reality is mathematical. And uh, even what we call God is mathematical. Thought is mathematical. Emotions mm. are mathematical. You can put a number, you know, the parameters, of, it's all waves. It's all about waves and um, you know, sine waves and cosine waves. And that's, uh, that's what reality is composed of. It's all mathematical. Everything's mm. number. Mm. So that's what the code is actually kind of telling us, really. Um, I've been working along with uh, Jimmy Blanchett. Have you heard of Jimmy Blanchett? Yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah, he's um, he's been getting these kind of transmissions, he says, uh, of data from from space. I know, it sounds crazy. But um, he's, he's like a new kind of Tesla guy with all his... The inventions he's got, uh, things and contraptions he's got, and what he's what he's getting is he's getting messages that are all mathematical again. Which, and he's actually been working alongside me, looking at the code, and he's come up with things himself. Um, so it's all mathematically derived, you know, um, all this information. And um, I hopefully might be making a video with him, uh, so we can kind of present what we both found, you know, what I found in the code with what he's found. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just saying that the code is what defines the Rendlesham incident. In a way, all authenticates itself. It uh, authenticates the incident and it authenticates the UFO phenomenon in general. Hmm. Well, I guess the question on the, on a lot of people's minds, you said about another book coming out, Gary, when's that going to appear, do you think? I'm working on, I'm working on two books at the moment. Um, 
And uh, the reason why I did that was because there's like cross-referencing stuff. Uh, and I thought it's best to get both these books out together this year. And it has been a long time, Jim, I know. But I mean, even even the first book took about almost five years to, to do. So, and the find, and the what's emerged from the code is, is complex stuff. But all I can do is get it out there so that people can see for themselves. Uh, it's, you know, people might complain, oh, I can't read this. It's all mathematical. And, and, but, you know, it might not be for them. It might be for the people that would understand it. And that's where it might all take off, you know, in, in actually establishing something that's factual, that shows that we, that we were contacted, you know, mm. and through Jim, you know, with his encounter. So, yeah, these two books I'm working on at the moment, trying to get them out this year. And I, I want to get them out this year. I think 2023 is a good year to do it. Um, yeah. Is there, um, I hate to ask the question, but uh, any, any plans of coming to the UK anytime, Jim and Gary? I, I don't know. Heather and I haven't really discussed any kind of travel at all, really. Uh, I'm so, not, you know, they got to straighten all this this stuff that's going on in the world with air airlines and all these restrictions and all. Yeah. Well, I don't you think know, we've got any restrictions over here now. It's but, just um, chaotic now, isn't it? The world is yeah, it's just yeah. chaotic now. It's yeah, so the, much... other, the other thing is, you know, uh, there's, there's a, they don't know it yet, but the threat is high. Uh, there's a high threat, right? Uh, Mm-hmm. It's it's materializing uh, because of the world situation and yeah and stuff like that and it is I a worrying the, situation actually it just puts yeah. you off traveling doesn't it puts you off traveling yeah. it puts you off yeah you're right I mean I I mean because I tell you what I was I was all gonna I was gonna go uh, last year uh, uh, to Giza uh, I had a, the university at uh, uh, yeah. technical university of Warsaw Poland right I was gonna do all that and then they had that that uh, uh, thing with Russia and, you know, of course they're all, all the college professors that are on that team are, you know, doing translating work and everything else now. And they're that, so that went by its way. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so the worst things I might, I don't know if I go over, let's put it this way. If I go over to the UK, I'm going to go over there as Jim Penniston, just uh, as a vacation. If I mm-hmm. do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I got a few friends over there I'd like to see again. So, you know. Well, I hope you'll I'm come not, and I'm meet not gonna, David. I'm not going to I'm not going to rule it out, David. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to no, rule no. it out. So. No, no, I mean, I've got, even. to be honest, I think we've got to wait and see how this year goes and then maybe see, maybe start thinking about 2024, maybe. Because um, it would right. be great to fix up a, a conference for you. And, I mean, uh, I have one. I want to go back to the UK. I mean, my mother's there, for course. Mm. Yeah, so well, you've mentioned before. Yeah, um, yeah, she's getting on in years, and it's like I need to go back there at some point. But I haven't had any plans to do so uh, in the coming months. So I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No, I think we're all up in the air a little bit over what over what's going on, and um, yeah, I don't know exactly where you're coming from. So yeah, as I say, yeah. I think we need to get twenty twenty three out of the way again now. <laughs> so, you know, if we're all still here by the end of the year, um. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that this code, you know, it needs to be understood, and I don't think anything's going to happen. Hopefully, until it's understood, because I think there is a timing in this code. Mm, mm, you know, that mm. I think certain things about it have come out just at the right time, 
And I, I'm sure that we'll get these two books out that show that show all the findings and that people can understand. Yeah, um, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Anyway. Maybe it, it might lead to something. Um, but, yeah, what Jim says, it's not all about us. It's not about Jim. It's not about me. It's not about any of the other witnesses, really. It's about mm. what, the, what the code is uh, giving us. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, I hope this show has gone a little bit more towards people understanding about uh, the Rendlesham Code and Rendlesham Enigma book that you yeah. get out. Um, yeah. Which came out, what, was it four or five years ago now, wasn't it? So the Rendlesham Enigma. 2019, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so four years ago. Yeah. Well, it will be in June. Mm-hmm. No, June, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. June July. Yeah. Right. That cover also, always impress always impresses me because it's so colourful. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Sorry. Yeah, that's why I made a nice banner out of using that that um, you know for the for the show using that yeah. cover. It's great. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's probably one of the yeah. best covers for uh, any what well, I'd call it a UFO book, the best UFO book of, of all time. Yeah, the, really. The guy, the guy, the guy. If you don't mind, we called it a UFO book. Yeah. The guy <laughs> who did the cover, Italian guy, who was the. Uh, I don't know, the editor of um, one of the magazines over here, a magazine. That's right. I knew him from some time ago. But it was um, Paolo Aris, wasn't it, Jim, who, who got right. hold of the eyes? Paolo, yeah. Right. For, for, for the cover of the book, yeah. Yeah, I met her a few, few years back. That's right. It's good. Anyway, right. Right, it's been it's been fantastic having you both on. Anyway, thank you so much for finding the time. Um, you know, I've been looking forward to this, as you know, trying to get you both together and uh, finally <laughs> done it. Great. Wow. So have we covered most of what you wanted? Uh, I think so. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless Jim's got any other little comments he'd like to make. No, uh, uh, no, David. If you got any questions, that you know, we can do one of these in the future. Uh, you can just shoot us a question. Yeah, uh, sure. I don't have. I don't. You know, if it's for me or it's for Gary. Yeah. I need I mean, one the, of us. Having the, the thing that. is, if if anyone's listening to this show and they've got any questions, they would like Jim or Gary to answer. I mean, you can either send send directly to me, or or you can sure. or Jim will, will take it straight away. But it's probably best yeah. to, best to come to me, and I'll pass it on to Gary or Jim. And, yeah, um, you, you know, if anything has come up during this, but well, I think really, I think you've covered most of the stuff. Um, yeah, Jim and I just had the intention of just coming on and just allowing it to flow. You know, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, apart from Mark Cartier testimony. Um, well, I would advise right. anyone really, um, if you really want to know the whole story about all this, the Jim's story especially, is mm. to read the Rendlesham Enigma by by Jim Penniston and Gary Osborne. Because yeah. I, I mean, I can honestly say I think it's the best book on the market about the RFI that I've ever read. Anyway, thank you very much. Um, David, how do you keep that cover in such a good shape? Um, I don't know. <laughs> we'll just keep it on the shelf. <laughs> my, my, mine's the, my first. first that, that, uh, is, my, that, is my, that is my second one, by the way, Jim. Oh, is, my, it? is it? My my first one, I gave to Colonel Holt, if you remember, when he was over <laughs> and he was going through it. He, he spent all oh, day yeah. going through it. <laughs> and yeah, I said, oh, I you, might as well, you might as well keep that one. He didn't really like a lot of the stuff that was put in no. there about him. But, well, um, I mean, I, I, so I've said to you before, I didn't actually see when I, I didn't see anything uh, really derogatory in it about <laughs> you've just pointed things out that didn't sort of 
much other things uh, that's been said in the yeah, past. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that if we were at, at a real good kind of conversation with him, which we we just got through emails, we just had email conversation with, with him, didn't we, Jim? Um, right. We had a real good conversation. We had to kind of um, iron out some of the discrepancies and things that we found. You know, so mm. witnesses aren't a hundred percent accurate, like the same. I mm. mean, I'll tell you what the 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 testimony with uh, Monroe Neville's and him, ninety five percent of it's the same. Mm. You know, yeah. there's like this five yeah. percent that wasn't really out there. I mean, yeah, it was treachery, you know, stuff that happened. Uh, he had a problem. I mean, I don't, to be honest, I, I found it a little bit unimportant as to who was actually sent right. out, you know, who was told to go out. And I mean, this, the, the fact of the matter is, was well, they were out there, you know, yeah, who was asked to let, go first, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah you know, unless, right. you have, unless you have an ego, I guess that was the only egos sort of hurt people, I would yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean eagle, it's ego. Ego, yeah. Ego, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not a see, 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 the critics would, or the, you know, skeptics would say, Jim mentioned ego. What was he talking about? You know, what was he saying? <laughs> meant ego. You know, yeah, sometimes it wasn't a flappy thing. Sad Jim a... says things that they kind of, you know, because yeah. there was this thing about him, about the craft being silver. There was a, something came up that Jim said the craft was silver, but he said it was, was it I think you use another word, wouldn't it, Jim? Opaque, wasn't it? Opaque? Silhouette. You said it was silhouette. And they thought yeah. he said silver. So they brought that oh, up. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. just hey. these silly things. Hey, American English and in, in, uh, the Queen's English, it's, it's different. I guess the King's English. Not, the King's, yeah, uh, it's the King's English. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> they're, not, they're not identical. I mean, they're close, but not identical. I mean, the king, he, he calls it a house, a heist. So you can't... Miss... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, anyway. Let's yeah, do this. Forget let's, that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's do this again then, yeah? Because there's a few things that yeah, I yeah, yeah. wanted to talk about and we didn't get round to it, but yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. How about when you get your other book out, mm-hmm. we try and do it again, maybe yeah, later we'll do it in then. the year. Yeah, that'd that? be good. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, if you're up for it, Jim, as well, it'd be great. Sure. Okay. Yeah, great. Okay. Okay. Well, I suppose we better wrap it up. And um, we've had a good almost two hours here. Thanks, Um, David. It's been fantastic having you on, as I said. And um, thank you, Jim and Gary, for finding the time. Thank you. I'll speak to you again soon and take care of yourselves. And you, David. Thanks. Cheers, Cheers, Jim. Cheers, Gary. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Good night. There we are. That was Gary Osborne and Jim Penniston. Thank you again to both of you for finding the time to come on. I know it's not been easy, and I shall look forward to the next time. Okay, right. My next show is actually a scheduled show on a normal schedule, and it's Maria Wheatley making a nice return visit to the show. And that will be on Monday, 13th of March. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me about any subjects, of course, if you've got anything to say about the show that we've just done with Jim Penniston and Gary Osborne, if you've got any questions... If you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is davidyoung2qn at yahoo.co.uk. That's davidyoung2qn at yahoo.co.uk. So we shall leave it there. I shall look forward to the next show on the 13th of March. So I hope you'll look forward to that one, the same as me. And I'll speak to you then. I'd like to give the last few words to Jim Penniston. Here he is talking about his book that came out a couple of years ago. This is David Young signing out. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone. Hello. 
My name is Jim Peniston. I am here to tell you about a groundbreaking new book about the Rendlesham Forest incident of 1980. It's called The Rendlesham Enigma. This book, 85% of it, is previously unknown to the public and to other witnesses. After 39 years of disinformation and misinformation coming out about the incident itself, I decided to team up with Gary Osborne and write the definitive book. I thought I was more than qualified since I was the first responder of the USAF, United States Air Force, deployment off base on a craft unknown origin. What I would like everybody to do to know that this is this book is definitive. It's 702 pages long. Of that, 702 pages. 300 pages are endnotes. What it does is presents the facts like never been presented before. Everything I kept close to the vest all these years is in this book. I will put you right beside me on contact. You will go through the emotional distress that I went through. But at the end of the day, after reading this book, you will have a complete understanding of what actually happened at Runnison Forest that night. So please, Go to Amazon.com, buy either the paperback or the Kindle. I guarantee you this much, you will not be disappointed. Paranormal Dimensions is as bright and powerful as our celestial star, the Sun. And although it's expending thousands of pounds of energy every minute of the day, have no fear. There's plenty left. Dimensions is fortnightly on Mondays on the Paranormal UK radio network.